Hello, and welcome back to Sound of the Moment. As usual, I am your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. Come back every second Monday to hear new episodes, and subscribe in iTunes or add the show to your RSS feed, or subscribe in Stitcher if you use that app. Either way, that way you will get automatic downloads of new shows as soon as they get released. For more information, detailed show notes and links, you can visit soundofthemoment.com. And if you like what you hear and you feel like supporting the show, please give us a favorable review or rating either in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is that you listen to this. Um, That will help the algorithms work in the show's favor and, and hopefully reach more listeners. You can follow me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver or look for Sound of the Moment on Facebook. This is episode number five for 18th of December 2017, and my guest is the Slovenian drummer and cellist Christian Kanchan. He's involved in all kinds of interesting projects, and you might remember his name um, being mentioned in episode one of Sound of the Moment, as he is the drummer for George Dimitriou's trio. Now, Christian's main focus at the moment is on his solo project, Drumming Cellist. So before we get to our conversation, I will play you some of that music. When I say solo, I do mean that very literally. Everything you're about to hear was recorded by Christian alone on both drums and cello. And this is all done in one take with live looping. It was made for a video shoot that he did. And I'd recommend checking that video out because it will give you an idea of exactly how he does everything. Um, So there'll be a link to that video in the blog post. So this piece is called Two Drone by Christian Kanchan, the drumming cellist.
Okay, that was music from Christian Kanchan, drummer and cellist, drumming cellist, you would say. Christian, <laughs> um, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Beth, for having me. Um, so, first of all, I always like to ask people to sort of introduce themselves. Maybe you can tell people a bit about who you are and what you do. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm Christian Kranchan. I come from Slovenia and uh, I come from a musical family, actually, a family of musicians. I started playing cello when I was about five and drums when I was about 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's pretty common in Slovenia to start with classical music in the beginning. So that's why I started with cello. Okay. But later on, I really got into improvisation. And anyway, my father is a jazz musician. So yeah. there were always records around, you know. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing is that he didn't try to push any music on, on me. He just had these records there. So I would just go and steal one and really listen to it, you know, <laughs> return yeah. it back. And it was like, I know, some big band or then it was like uh, some Chick Corea return for forever or whatever. Yeah, okay. And then uh, I really fell in love with improvisation. So that's why I guess uh, I went to study drums mm-hmm. and uh, I studied in Groningen, a bit in New York. Yeah. Um, I was really fortunate to have good teachers. I think that's really important also. Yeah. That can kind of push you in some direction. Um, and I'm also really into films that, yeah. that has been for around forever. I don't exactly know why. Maybe it's because my grandmother, she, she was supposed to babysit me when I was little, mm-hmm. but she can she had to go still to work because she, my grandmother is really young. Mm-hmm. So then I was just like watching this movies all the time and when i was super little maybe it was then when i fell in love with movies i don't know so cinema was your babysitter uh, yeah something <laughs> like that exactly <laughs> and i remember once we made uh, there was this camera vhs you know that really crappy camera around and there were some visitor visitors coming mm-hmm. like you know grown-ups who had kids and then i always got these kids and we made movies you know around yeah. uh, crappy movies and but still it was always around when i was little and uh, later on, I decided to go study music. So it was less of that, but I was, I always studied screenwriting by myself and movie making and stuff like this. Yeah. So recently, I got really into that, and now I'm actually pre-producing my first professional short film yeah. that I wrote, and I'm really happy about it. It's like another world. Um, so I think that's kind of what I'm into: music, movies, screenwriting. Yeah, it's a lot of. Uh a lot of different stuff. Um, I think we maybe we should get to the to the movie and 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 movie making and 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 also film music stuff a bit later. Um, we just heard something from your project drumming cellist, which is a solo thing that you've been doing. Um, I suppose to a lot of people that might seem like the logical thing to do, right? That you play two instruments, so why not make something? where you play both. But then again, that's obviously really challenging because those aren't two instruments that combine, um, that you would have combined in a very, like in a, most settings, I suppose. Um, and also bringing in the two different styles. Um, is it something that you always wanted to do to have some sort of a thing where you could do both things? To be honest, it was pretty much like you said, like I, it never really crossed my mind seriously, at least, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's been some, experiments when I would play drums to recordings of Richter playing Bach piano suites, mm-hmm. you know, like trying to kind of go with his phrasing. And the interesting thing about classical music is that it's not so 
pulse based let's yeah. say it's a different kind of pulse it's not uh, so stable as in jazz mm-hmm. so that always interested me also as a drummer because this is something that you usually don't learn or you know like it's not a common thing to do so this kind of i was doing this kind of experiments but never really playing cello because i also kind of left cello a bit on the side after i decided to go with drums mm-hmm. so i guess it was because of the film music that i started to play it again you know because it's really practical to play your own cello stuff you can record it yourself yeah, of course yeah you know and, and even overdub stuff to have a sound string sound or stuff like this mm. and then last year i remember that there was a period when i didn't have any concerts or anything happening yeah and uh at first i kind of got depressed and didn't know what to do but out of that i think came this kind of subconscious thing that i've been thinking about but never really thought that I would go through with it, that I would make an album, not a project actually, just an album yeah. where I play something classical with cello and then on top with drums. Mm-hmm. So um, I decided, yeah, let's just go for it. Let's see what happens. It was no expectation whatsoever. And man, I learned a lot from this, really <laughs> a lot. It was really challenging actually. Yeah. Because, I mean, for me, let's say Bach is the master of all times and i did i didn't want to butcher him with my drums you know or <laughs> you know yeah yeah because you play the bach cello suites um that's quite a an integral part of the album it's quite a a, a big chunk of it exactly um which is the probably the most iconic piece of cello repertoire there is for sure um, yeah, everybody for sure. will would recognize it and then yeah playing drums on top of that um how so how did the idea come to actually do that um I think it was that, I mean, I fell in love with this, especially with this second cello suite Mm -hmm. in my high school because I was playing it. I was, um, it was really a big part of me. I would walk, you know, from school to school in the city and the back suite would be just in my head all the time. It was really like a special piece of music. And um, I learned it by heart then and I kind of still knew it by heart. And then I decided, okay, if I'm going back to cello now after all these years, Mm -hmm. let's say in a a serious way, I think this would be a piece that would be the best door in to to do it, you know. And I really feel a special connection to it. So that piece for sure was really easy to to decide, at least from cello part. And then I had to figure out how to orchestrate it with drums. Um, so it's not all the same and when I would play this kind of groove thing on top or when I would play just the colors or you know I didn't want I I also really didn't improvise on cello then at all so Mm -hmm. it was pretty clear that I would play cello very classically let's say yeah yeah so the the, all of the cello stuff is written material and then is it the case that all all of or at least most of the drum stuff is pretty much improvised yeah that was that was kind of the concept that i told myself to do and also in studio uh dimitar budurov was actually recording the yeah. thing and he mm-hmm. also helped me a lot as a second opinion like like almost like a producer that yeah because at certain point i really got you know lost in all the possibilities <laughs> and it was nice to go back to this yeah let's make drums really fresh let's make let's not over rehearse because i i was preparing myself of course also with practicing drums to cello suites but i didn't want to lose the improvisational aspect so i yeah. that was the clear concept okay drums is going to be very improvised and cello is going to be written out yeah and that's um 
that's something that has obviously changed now to a degree um, because you've been performing it, at least in, in some cases, performing it live. Um, it went from a completely produced thing to a, a, a live show. How, how did you transition that? And yeah, yeah. I, like I said in the beginning, I really didn't intend to do that whatsoever. No. But then because I did this crowdfunding, also mm -hmm. just from curiosity, I didn't really know if I'm going to succeed or not. Mm. And by the way, I learned since that only the projects that you really don't know if you're going to succeed, I think these projects, only these kind of projects are really special, you know? Because it's like going on this really thin line. Are you going to fall over or not? And uh, I have I have the feeling that I try since to do projects like this or at least my own stuff. I really yeah. try to to go for the things that I don't know if they're going to work. Okay. You know, I just kind of jump in the water and trust that I have enough. I don't know how to say like enough skill or enough improvisational but would you would you say that's because you're diving into something that you suspect might be too ambitious or just because you're not sure if things are going to fit together or work or all of these things but yeah. i think that's how you push yourself as a musician mm -hmm. at least for myself it was yeah. like this you know because i always had two parts to myself one was classical that i started with and then this jazz thing and i have this uh, urge to 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 combine them in some way and mm. And many times when I listened to people try to do that, I really didn't like it hmm. because they somehow, they missed, to me, to my opinion, they missed the core of both, you know, yeah. like you have to really know the core to, to try to combine it, I think, yeah. not from the, from the surface point of view. So, um, what, uh, where, where, where were we? <laughs> I was like getting the... Well, uh, no, we were talking about the idea of, of um, taking, taking risks, ah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, taking right. risks, exactly, yeah, right. So the thing is that because I'm also in screen, into screenwriting, yeah. I studied, let's say, also this structure of hero's journey, Yeah, that it's uh, one of the oldest structures in the mythology and that humans know. Yeah. And like you could argue that somehow there inside there's a matrix to human beings as how we work you know and how we develop and how we improve hmm. and actually there's always so in the beginning there's this ordinary life then that there comes something that kind of takes hero out of this ordinary life and that could also be an idea let's say an idea about this project right yeah and the first thing is of course the neglection the first thing is like hero wants to Mm -hmm. Hero doesn't respond to it. Yeah. Also in the hero's journey, that's the yeah, structure. Yeah, yeah. And th that's the thing. Your mind is saying no. Or yeah, refusal of the ref call. Yeah, right? refusal yeah. of the call. Exactly. That's how it's called. And and uh, that's your, I guess that's this doubt that, that makes people not finish their projects or not follow their dreams, yeah. so to speak. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe it's like a self-destructive element that we have. And I don't know why, actually. I guess it's many things connected also about of course um being afraid of public opinion and being mm -hmm. afraid to fail and of yeah. course we all have that yeah yeah but and then usually in the Kira journey there comes like a supernatural help yeah um meeting with the god yeah no 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 it's not that, that, that later. comes later yeah. yeah no with a mentor oh yeah, yeah, yeah. meeting okay. with mentor or with some kind of ally that yeah. helps you go and then 
anyway, not to, to, to go long about it, there comes a point when you kind of go to the other side, mm-hmm. let's say, where to the other belly of the whale, you know, yeah. to the yeah. other, to the subconscious world or to the, you know, psychologists interpreted it like this, screenwriter, screenwriters interpreted it like this, or musicians can also interpret in terms of, in terms of improvisation, you come to that, to the point where you're not safe anymore. You know, when you're, mm. when you don't play the stuff that you practiced and you don't play your licks, but you're mm. like, just, you have an idea and you, you follow it and then suddenly there's like a belly of the whale, you know? And <laughs> I think there's where really interesting things happen. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think it's important that we all try to, or no, not all. I don't want to speak for everybody. <laughs> I want to speak for myself. Yeah. If something I learned is that it's all relative, man. It's yeah, really yeah. relative. Everybody has their own way and their own path and it should be like this, Yeah. I think. And... Um, so yeah, for me, this is where it becomes really interesting. So I thought that what I wanted to say is basically that with this project, I came to this point mm-hmm. that I really didn't know, huh, now am I going to, is the dragon going to eat me? You know, yeah. <laughs> Or am I going <laughs> to defeat the dragon? Or are we going to become friends? Or you know what's going to happen? Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is about the taking risks. Yeah, no, that's interesting that you, not only would the hero's journey be something that you can apply within the work but that also the hero's journey is also the structure of the work itself right so the the process of making the album and then pushing the project one step further and making the live show exactly and all of that it's uh, i'm sure that within within story structures you can do that but then actually creating the story becomes a hero's journey in itself for sure and also then playing let's say a piece live at the concert just playing this seven minute piece can become a hero's journey yeah. Again, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's a, uh, an inception of, of Hero's Journeys, I suppose. You've got so yeah, the Russian doll like effect of, <laughs> you know, the, the seven-minute piece and then the, the hour-long concert and then the... And then the, the, the album yeah, and the project. Week-long and, tour and... And, and life. Know, life along with career. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but to go back to your question, yeah, basically since then, um, I started also to improvise on cello. Yeah. Which is something I never did because I was classically trained, so I mm-hmm. didn't really... My brain just didn't function in this way. It's really funny because on drums, I feel very free to improvise. But then I I took a cello and it was like, okay, I just know to play the pieces that I learned from scores, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I started to... uh Ah, and the thing was like this. So I made an album and I made this crowdfunding. Yeah. And then an organizer of Slovenian Jazz Festival, he he called me and he said, man, this is really interesting. We would like to have you, you know? (laughs) And I'm like, shit, how the the hell am I going to play this live? Yeah, of course. What should I do? And then I started to figure things out. And then I bought Looper and I started to play around with Looper. And I said, okay, but actually I really don't want to play just classical on channel. I really want to see what happens. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to take a simple song. I'm going to take a song that I wrote for a film yeah. which has two chords. Yeah. And that I really feel. Mm-hmm. So, okay, and then I yeah. start to improvise. Yeah. One key, two chords, that's it. Mm-hmm. And um it was very interesting, man. And since then I'm, you know, trying to improve my my cello improvisation skills and just combine these two instruments that have such a specific sound that I don't know, man, it's really uh, another world for me. Yeah. It's, it's really it's really cool and so yeah you so you you briefly touched on the idea of the looper um so can you describe exactly what a, a live show looks like because as far as i can tell there is still um both 
or at least from what I've seen um, in your performance, uh, videos of your performance at least, is there's still elements of pre-recorded material, right? Yeah. And then there's also live looping. Um, how is that out of necessity that you're using pre-recorded material? Is it um, is it something that you're trying to phase out or is it something that's just part of the thing? Yeah, it's, I think it's something that I have to do in order to really play the drums. Yeah. You know, like, because what I also like to do is just to play a drum solo and not be concerned about, I have to uh, play now cello and loop it and then I play a little bit with drums. And so I just have this one piece, for example, The Living of Siddhartha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That it's all pre-recorded. The cello tracks are pre-recorded. Yeah. And uh, I really consider playing this piece on drums like going on a hero's journey it was yeah. kind of like the whole idea about it we'll see in the future also fratres yeah from arvo pert i play yeah, like yeah. this mm -hmm. and uh, i'll see what happens i mean i'm just trying to find different ways how to play this project you know i yeah. don't want to limit myself to something i also don't want to be limited only to looper that the only way you can play, let's say, cello is that you loop stuff and then you improvise on top. You know? Yeah, no, it, it's true. Like I, and that's something that I found quite impressive with the way you actually do use the loops, um, because so often in loop-based projects you will have a okay, this is layer one and this is layer two and this is layer three, and then the, that means you've already listened to thirty seconds of somebody playing layers of stuff. And then the music starts, you know, which is, I suppose that's one structure and it's fine. But if you watch an entire concert of that entire, like yeah, exactly. every song having the same structure, which is I have to start from this and then do that and then do this. And then when it's all happened, then you can hear it all together. Um, it, and, and like I say, like what I found interesting about the, the way you approach it is that you don't like, I feel like you achieve the same, um, you do achieve a very full sound even before you start looping stuff. Um, it, it, it feels to me like you can already feel the space. Maybe that's also just the nature of the drums and stuff and, and the, the way you play. But um, it never feels like you have to stop and record a loop and then, you know, start again. And, you know, you can play an intro to something and then suddenly you're playing a loop and you don't necessarily realize that's what's happening. And then you don't realize it's a loop until the second layer comes and then yeah, you're exactly. already inside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, uh, that's something that for sure I was uh, conscious of because it's exactly what you said that you can just become this like layer looper <laughs> forever. Yeah. And of course that's how you start. And, and it's really fun to actually play with looper. You always, you come up with stuff and they all sound interesting or, you know, yeah. Mm, but I think there's still a lot of different ways how to how to approach it, and I will try to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and maybe we should um, maybe we should talk about some of the other things that you you're up to. Um, you you're obviously very multidisciplinary, and there's a few few projects that that involve all kinds of other things. One of the things uh, being this project Hidden Myth, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which to go back to this hero's journey, as far as I understand, it's very much based on on that, right? Yeah, totally. Um, could you talk about that? It involves your brother as well, who's a dancer, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I was doing this project, I don't even remember how it all started, but I was really into the writing and researching uh, this mythology. Yeah. I think it started from reading Jung, actually, because I'm really into Jung, this psychoanalyst and yeah. spiritualist, actually, because... He was really into a lot of things. Yeah. And he's using mythology to kind of 
to underline his psychological discoveries mm-hmm. in a really interesting way. And uh, I got inspired to see if I can do that also in music mm. and in using, let's say, this kind of symbols that have been with us since forever, mm. but then not not using them in very explicit in your face way, but kind of more like giving a feeling of them so that people would maybe feel that there is something deeper to us, you know, yeah. some, and I also use that as like visual projections with some very strong symbols, yeah. like elements of sun, heat or, or water or mm-hmm. earth and things like that. Yeah. That's very Jungian in itself, right? The idea of there being a sub layer of stuff that you're going to get or not, but it's going to somehow filter into exactly, people's yeah. consciousness. Yeah, exactly. And this was actually the, the best compliment I got is that, that, uh, somebody told me that they really felt this something, I don't know, that they cannot explain, you yeah. know? And I was kind of like, yes, that, that's <laughs> what I wanted, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's what I think. I mean, that's, that's great if you can achieve as an artist that somebody feels something deeper than just sadness or happiness, which anyway could be also great. Yeah. But if somebody can feel something that they cannot explain, but yeah. then I th- I'm really happy. Um, because it also means that you're not coming only from a conscious perspective, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and you also don't necessarily want to create something with the idea of, and now this is the sad tune, and now this is the <laughs> happy tune, and this is how I make people feel this. Like, it's not like you pressing people's buttons seem like, seems like such a, a, a cheapening of of the, the idea of artistic expression, right? For sure. Um, so when you can inject... Um, larger concepts into something and, and, and hopefully people will be able to take what they, what they want and what they, um, what they can out of, out of what you're doing. Uh, we, we should probably explain exactly what hidden myth is because uh, we're talking a bit up in the air now. No, it was like an interdisciplinary performance basically with four musicians, two dancers and Mm -hmm. visual projections. And there was also pre-recorded choir that, uh, uh, we were we were basically playing along and then the choir sound was affecting the image of how it moved you know? okay yeah and uh, one of the dancers was my brother Jigan yeah he's a really talented guy who who has really strong sense for music you know mm-hmm. and this I think something he got because of he's coming from family of musicians and yeah you know it's funny because, for example, he, he tells me he really feels connected to cello suites and it's something that I used to practice when he was super little. Yeah. You know, so you, you kind of see how how you get influenced when you're when you're yeah. very little. Or even when he was in the womb, you know, I was yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah. And then my mother would be always like, yeah, he's kicking, he's kicking. <laughs> Play more, you know, how yeah. to make somebody practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A nice trick. Yeah. Uh, no, and I think he also, because he sort of comes from, he has a background in street dance and stuff, right? Exactly. And, and, yeah. and then he comes to this um, sort of modern dance and creative improvised dance and all these things from from also bringing together different worlds. Totally, um, yeah. Uh-huh. I find he's, that, he's really into that. I think maybe it's something that really have in common. Yeah. Combining different... Because at the end, it's about expression and like, why would you limit yourself to one thing? But I think in order to do that, you have to understand each of these things really to the core, as to the core as you can. Yeah. You know, what I was saying about classical and jazz music, trying to combine. Yeah, I think that that 
that is that plays into the the idea of the value of tradition, right? So yeah, I think for sure, a lot of people will. Um, do believe in this whole tabula rasa kind of an idea, which is I need to come to my creative process and and erase everything that uh, that I know or, and and come to it fresh. And but on the other hand, we and I think it's very common in the jazz world. We've got this idea of you need to have your roots um, somewhere and really explore those roots before you go anywhere else. Um, I don't think that 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 is really a necessary order in which things need to happen. Um, but, uh, but it, I, yeah, it, it is an interesting thing. Um, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, for me personally, I, I also didn't come from, from the roots up, but yeah. I got interested in music. And then because I was interesting, wow, this person is playing like this. Why is he playing like this? Mm-hmm. Ah, because he listened to this guy. Ah, he was earlier. Yeah. yeah. Ah, and this guy listened to this. And then you kind of start to understand how things evolve from one another and why tradition is important um, that you don't really I don't I don't feel locked because I checked tradition or I don't I don't think that you're I think you're more creative if you know what happened than if you're supposed to try to consciously you know close the tradition and okay I'm gonna do something new no you're not gonna do something new everything has been done yeah (laughs) you know no, of course. And you're going to repeat stuff without even knowing it. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's the thing. It's better to be aware of what you're repeating to a degree. Yeah. Um, and th- that's one, one quote that I'm thinking about these days all the time up from Jung, which mm. connects to this. And he says that until you make the unconscious conscious, mm. it will direct your life and you will call it fate. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think it can apply to many, many things. But yeah, so for me, I, I don't know. I like tradition, man. When I hear somebody swinging, my heart just starts to pump. I love yeah. it. You know, it's not like, or f- for a certain time, I've been a bit, how to say, not ashamed, but like, I was like, no, I have to be hip or I have to be this or I have to be something. No, yeah. man, just feel what you feel and play. And, and then I think that's how also this drumming challenge happened because I like a lot of different styles of music and you can hear all of it inside and I don't think that they're forced. They mm. just come out naturally and yeah. I think out of that can happen something more fresh, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting because it's also there's two sides to that coin, right? Of of I have to do this because on the one hand you've got people that say I have to play traditional and you've got people that say I have to innovate. Exactly. Yeah. Um and in both cases there's there's a lot of wrong in in those statements, uh, I suppose. Oh, well, I don't know if it's wrong, but let's say that it's limiting. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's, it's an oversimplification, I suppose. Mm. Um what I'm saying. Um and so, yeah, there's the, an, another thing you sent me, which I suppose is along similar lines. You've been working on a project called Chorus, right? Which mm-hmm. is a dance performance. Dance performance. Yeah, it's, um, it's something that, because this hidden myth eventually didn't really develop so much, mm-hmm. but it was a start of some collaboration between me and my brother. Yeah. And um, now he put together a show with six dancers and he wanted me to, to play music live. Yeah. So it was a really cool way to actually introduce the drumming cellist yeah. with the dancers. And I really like their their energy, man. It's really mm. great, actually. Especially if they are dancers who have a feeling for improvisation and for spontaneity, mm. and really try to to push hard, work hard. And and uh, I, I had a lot of fun working with them. And also, I feel when I play like this, I feel actually even more free mm. because 
you can either play very simple sound or you can just play an atmosphere and it mm. adds to the dance or you can actually improvise hardcore like there's one part that i really just really improvised like i really play the drums really hard and yeah. the dancers <laughs> just like come to me <clears throat> And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the lights go off and there's just black. <laughs> and you just hear like drums. Yeah. <laughs> like, so we really, I don't know, we had a lot of cool ideas about it. And uh, yeah, I, re I really like to work with him also. It's, it's some kind of connection that it's really easy to work. Mm -hmm. The ideas just flow, you know, and no, nobody's judging anything. That's what I really like also. Yeah. I really like to work with people. Then it's just when one idea comes, the other one is just kind of, Oh, what about this? Or what about and this? Or and this and this? And then it just kind of bounces of each other, and you come to this. Yeah, it's the the yes and principle, right? From, yeah, yeah. From improv theater, which is uh, yeah. do not turn down what somebody brings to the table. Add exactly. to it, because um, especially when you're dealing with improvising, if if somebody does something and then you treat it as a mistake, that becomes problematic. Whereas if you take it and, and run with it um that's when actually interesting things happen for sure um and so how does that relate to because you also you studied composing for film um mm -hmm. besides your work actually as a filmmaker and, and director and screenwriter you you also write music for film which i suppose is a logical step because um if you're going to be a musician and composer and a filmmaker then those that's where those two worlds meet um yeah, maybe, could you maybe talk a bit about your, your experience as a, as a film composer? As a film composer, yeah. I mean, I started because uh, I got again into the film. So like you say, it was kind of a logical thing to do. And I remember once a friend of mine, I, I went to see a commercial shoot, you know. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, he, he sent me, he was a, like a producer of, of the commercial. Yeah. And he sent me the, the kind of the edit of the commercial he said man do you have some ideas about which tracks would work yeah so i went through my library and started playing around and i was like wow this tracks makes it look like this wow yeah. actually this tracks it makes it look completely different yeah. and it's exactly the same image totally mm -hmm. so i was like wow i never thought about it before that it, it yeah. can influence so much yeah so i went to see one class here with um, in amsterdam conservatory mm -hmm. and i was really like wow it was really great actually uh, analyzing movies and psychology you know it's also a lot connected with psychology and yeah so um i enrolled and it was great experience man it was cool because also you work with directors um you don't just study theory and then you're like okay now you're out of the open you don't know anything. yeah because it's a, a lot about communication with directors and how do yeah. you communicate about music with somebody who's not a musician yeah who can tell you okay this music needs to be slower or this music is too fast but maybe he actually doesn't need that it's too fast. Doesn't yeah. mean that it's too fast. Maybe it's just too many notes or too dense or too loud yeah. or whatever, you know? Like, yeah, 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 there's often one parameter gets associated with the other. It's yeah, like exactly. Play faster doesn't mean play louder and those kinds of things. Really. All kinds of things that you have to kind of understand. And when do you start to write and how do you... Yeah, just this communication thing. That it's really great when you have a director who's really trustful. Mm -hmm. I, of course, I realize that it's it's a heaven for a film composer. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't happen a lot, but I, I was fortunate a couple of times to work with this. Yeah. But then on the other hand, I also worked with some TV series that we had. Like we were a team of three, three people. Yeah, they were Dutch TV series called yeah. The Fraxie. Okay, and we just had to make music for an hour of ep episode every week. Okay, so yeah. it was just really like 
craftsmanship you yeah know? and volume of output you have to make a lot of stuff a lot of yeah. stuff and we were we had divided cues each had a certain theme and when this theme would come in the movie you know theme meaning like uh, is it a love thing or is it a detective thing or whatever yeah. political thing mm-hmm. and then okay then you took the theme that you com- kind of pre-composed and it was approved and then you applied it to the scene and you made it work with the scene yeah okay and you had to also produce it so you actually had to like in a two days maybe or three days produce this thing yeah make some actually yeah one or two days then make adjustments from the director that would come some comments hmm. and then somebody would master the thing and then there was it was aired yeah so it was actually a great experience because you learn really the, the craft of, of the thing you know of, yeah of, of it's not just about being poetic and finding the right tone and stuff. No, it's like you need to make this. Music. Yeah, you've got a deadline. You need to make this work. Yeah. How do you make this work? And what does it mean that something is working? Yeah. That's also very interesting. Mm-hmm. Still, I'm still figuring this out, of course. Yeah. Um, and I guess the hardest thing a lot of times is to to compose for your own movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like mm-hmm. also playing drums on my own compositions when I play, let's say. When I when I had a band before, yeah. and you write your own piece, and you you hear all the music, all the instruments, and everything, but then, okay, what am I playing here, man? It's, it's really, <laughs> you know, as a drummer, you don't want to play the obvious thing, but then you can really trap yourself yeah. also. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's that's the, that's the funny thing that like I'm the movie composer, but it's the hardest to let's say make a music for my film. Maybe I'm just you know have too high expectations or something. Yeah, I can imagine that's common, right? The, like, for example, actor-directors have a similar situation where it's like, how do you direct yourself when you act and how do you... Yeah, yeah. Um, and how do you switch hats so quickly in that sense? Like, how do you both perform with people and also tell them how they should perform? Exactly. Um, and it's good to have, like, friends who are good film composers that you can just you know say man what do you think about this or what yeah. do you think about this mm-hmm. that's really nice i find it really nice when you have people who who genuinely genuinely um want to ha- want to help you or you know have this positive attitude yeah and when you talk to them they can sometimes really say maybe even just one sentence or two sentences mm-hmm. and can really change your perspective because you're too much inside yeah of this thing yeah and do you feel like your work as a film composer and your your actual like formal studies of film composition has um had a lot of impact on the way you both play and and compose music for non non-visual mediums yeah i think both yes and no Mm -hmm. i don't know um it might be a too obvious yeah it's it's for sure i mean i kind of feel with myself that whatever i do that influences everything else yeah yeah so like i say if i study screenwriting i it it influences my composing for sure and it influences my improvising for sure and then maybe improvising influences my screenwriting and then maybe my directing and then you know like it's everything is kind of connected so for sure it is in some way influencing but i wouldn't say that my composing became more filmic or something because i think i've always i've loved this or at least part of me love this minimalistic kind of repetitive things that yeah. then maybe you improvise over or you do something mm-hmm. creative with it and uh, anyway in movies you have a lot of that kind of yeah music. of course but i think it came from before 
I became film yeah. composer. So you already loved the music that you were, that music was already there. It didn't. Yeah, for sure. It made me look at some pieces more as a producer, maybe, you know, yeah. like take a step back and think more about the sound. Mm -hmm. That's something that I didn't think so much before I started working as a film composer, like because a sound of the same instrument or, you know, or, or a melody or a drone or whatever, a particular sound can already be like completely different piece. Even yeah. though I would feel before, no, but it's the same harmony, it's the same, everything is the same, but it's just different sound. Yeah. But maybe, but for a director, that would be very important. And yeah. I think it became also more important for me um, that it's, yeah, that it really, it, it's a part of the emotion, the mm -hmm. sound itself, you know, Yeah. that changed. Yeah, I think timbre in general is a, yeah, <clears throat> which is, I suppose, the accepted term for that. It, it's mm -hmm. a... It's a an aspect of music making that's very underappreciated, especially by um, by jazz musicians, I suppose, um, and improvisers. I mean, if you look into maybe some of the more cutting edge free improv scene, there are people out there that are basically that's their entire thing is just sort of sound and, and mm -hmm, variations mm -hmm. in sound quality. But I think it 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 goes it sort of goes to the opposite end of the spectrum of of the conventional thing, which is you're a jazz musician and your goal is to have your sound, which feels such a, like such a, a limiting concept, which is I want people to hear my sound and recognize that it's me. That obviously that's a very valuable thing. But on the other hand, if that's at the detriment of actually multiplying the different sounds, then you run into trouble there, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I feel also a lot of times, as a jazz musician, you're like, okay, you're a jazz musician. You have to learn how to improvise bebop language. And that is, that's about it. It's mm -hmm. not about sound or t t timber. Yeah. <laughs> and, French uh, words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but wait, what I was trying, I was thinking about something, but now I forgot. Anyway, I mean, there's a lot of other influences today, which is really cool. Yeah, like people take influence from classical and from from ethnic music and yeah, that's great. I know. I wanted to say about yeah your sound that yeah, I actually when I was in college, I got a bit maybe not obsessed, but I was really consciously thinking yeah I really want to sound like unique and hip and myself and mm -hmm. myself or I really want to be recognizable or something. You yeah, know? and I feel that uh, anyway this kind of comes from ego point of yeah. yourself. Yeah, certainly. And and anyway, I guess you're gonna sound like yourself, but some people sound more like themselves, and some people sound less like themselves. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so yeah, I guess true. it's just it's just your your, I guess your task as a musician is just to, to do what you're doing, to go really deep, to study the instrument, and then just let this happen out of music, not out of your idea that you should sound. Yeah, it has, it has to come from a place of honesty, I suppose. Like For some, sure, if yeah. somebody is playing in an honest way, that is what's going to make them sound like themselves. Exactly. Not playing with a conscious thought of how do I make it sound like me. Um, yeah, exactly. And I also, like I said before, uh, here in Amsterdam, seeing sometimes I had the feeling like I'm not uh, like free enough or connected to free jazz or this because my heart is still really much with melody and with yeah. simple things sometimes or it could be complicated on drums but that's why for example now I really don't have a problem with playing very simple 
melody which is on the border of being corny mm-hmm. on cello yeah. but like if i hear it and if i like it i just play it and i, yeah. I actually consciously said to myself look you're a cello player you're a classical cello player you don't have a bebop skill <laughs> you're probably not gonna have it you're not even interested really to have it yeah so why don't you do it like this instead of so to speak jerking off on cello <laughs> yeah or trying to sound hip or trying to play some weird shit yeah. why don't you just play what you hear yeah, yeah you yeah. know and just trust <laughs> and okay if pat metini comes out pat metini comes out i listen a lot to pat metini yeah, yeah sure if i don't know if some hindemith comes out that i said more weird that i was also really into hmm. the hindemith is gonna come out but just you know like just enjoy just hear what just play what you hear and that's sometimes it's hard man when you're on stage hmm. if you have this panic like this hero's journey you know when yeah. it comes when the dragon comes you're panicked yeah. fuck <laughs> and you start to play something that is either fast or and it's not anymore honest it's not yeah. anymore you know yeah and i'm just trying to you know chill and do this yeah with cello yeah that's interesting because the way you i really hear that in your playing which is that and you you spoke about it at the very beginning of the conversation which is the idea of classical music being less pulse based um i feel like you're and and obviously your cello playing is incredibly tight and everything but your phrasing feels less pulse based than than maybe a sort of jazz trained cellist not that we have that many of those around <laughs> yeah. anyway i mean there are some but um i feel like your your phrasing is coming really from a from a flexible kind of a, a classical space uh, yeah and also let's say from from people like ambrose you yeah. know that he plays with the trumpet it's really he's a great player who i also got really inspired from you know that yeah, he yeah. kind of plays this phrase on top of the music that mm-hmm. would but then again what helps me, I guess, is that I'm a drummer, so I can still feel the pulse yeah. and not get just washed away, you know, by the yeah. by the pulse. Or, um, but I, I think I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe we should we should briefly talk a bit about your. Um, it's probably outside of the scope of what this podcast is meant to be about, but I, I do think it would be a shame not to talk about it. Is um, actually talk about your work as a filmmaker. Um, you mention your upcoming um, short movie. Maybe you could talk a bit about that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the movie is called Mountain Flood, mm-hmm. and it's again, it's like uh, it's trying to be a mythological story, but but told as a simple story between father and son. Mm-hmm. You know, which is more personal. So I guess I'm at least at the moment I'm really into these kind of things that are something that it's very mythological in terms of being around for many thousands of years or yeah. whatever and something that actually it's it's maybe part of our collective unconscious mm-hmm. but then trying to tell it from from ordinary people's view or I yeah. have to say not not from heroes and you know yeah, yeah the and ordinary then, man's the ordinary man, and then <laughs> like use elements that come from this world and make it more interesting and things like that but um yeah, I mean, I wrote the script, which was actually really cool because two years ago I, I said to myself, okay, I really, I have this itch, you know, I really want to write a screenplay. I'm like, okay, but I probably it's going to really suck, you know. <laughs> <laughs> How can I write a screenplay, man? It's really hard because writing screenplays is, is like a really dry kind of work that you have to, 
without explaining any emotion because of course you cannot see it yeah like you cannot say to uh, he's thinking about that because you cannot film what somebody's thinking yeah, yeah, yeah you actually film what he's doing yeah so you have to find for everything that somebody's feeling or thinking you have to actually find a physical expression of that either through his action or through his reaction to somebody's yeah. behavior or, or through symbolic thing like i don't know rain maybe it's raining and why is it raining in this scene or anyway yeah. so um so and but that also actually helps me this yeah. restriction i realized mm -hmm. i like that because it's, it's very dry but you have to always read it with this in mind you know mm -hmm. the screen any screenplay so i started to actually and i really wanted to kind of um I wanted to write about something that interests me. Like, so I, st I started to study this red book from Jung mm -hmm. and I had these ideas about this really weird stuff. And I was like, man, how am I going to make this into a movie? It's not working. Yeah. And so I started to, to research, to write. And, at and uh, I wanted to write a feature screenplay. Yeah. But at a certain point, I, I got this idea for a short story. And I, I wrote this script and I sent it, sent it to, to this Slovenian uh, screenwriting workshop mm -hmm. and I've been selected great yeah. you know and I went there and I learned something then I sent it to one workshop in Rotterdam yeah. it's also been selected and it even won the first award for best screenplay yeah wow and I was like wow man this is great it's like really encouraging if you kind of start doing something yeah. and you get this encouragement it's much of course it's much easier yeah and uh, then also one producer got like a young production house, they got interested in Slovenia yeah. uh, to make this movie and we applied to, to get funding and we got the funding, you know? Yeah. So it kind of seems it's like it's going somewhere and it, yeah. it feels really nice. Now we're in pre-production, we're still casting the, the roles, we're mm -hmm. still choosing the locations. I already have a great uh, DOP yeah. and a scenographer, costumographer. Yeah. Hopefully we're going to shoot in May. Okay. Um, and yeah, I'm, I really enjoy. It. I mean, it's like a it's like a little universe that you're creating, you know. Yeah. But it's also like a little country because you're you're like a politician, and if you are doing this, then you cannot do this, and if you give money to this, you cannot give it to this. Yeah. Because you have a certain amount of money. Yeah. Okay. Right. And and yeah. if if you if you and you also have a certain amount of time, yeah. and you have a certain amount of energy at the end. Yeah. Even, goodwill know? from the people. You <laughs> yeah. Work exactly. With. Yeah. <laughs> that you ask again for thousand you know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> favor mm, so yeah so this is this is actually what really inspires me now and at the same time i'm really thinking about the feature screenplay version of this kind this story but yeah. just really being expanded mm -hmm. and i'll try to write it I'm, I'm trying to write it now um and the rest what i was doing is uh, i did some music videos that yeah. that are also of course like a kind of natural step if you're a musician and director yeah. that Mm -hmm. It's re also really fun how to how to translate uh, like a musical elements into kind of storytelling and then visual stuff that could counterbalance each other. And, um, so yeah, um, I made also one short film before, but it was it was like from the goodwill of people, you know. It was yeah, okay. made like this. Yeah, um, I wanted to go also study filmmaking. Actually, that's why I made this film. Yeah. And I said, okay, I'm going to go study film directing to London. And if I don't get in, fuck it. I'm just going to leave everything. That was my idea. Okay. So yeah. I made this film. I sent the application. And of course, I didn't get in, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, I got really depressed for a while. I was like, shit, yeah. does this mean something? 
but what actually came out of this was something much stronger that that I kind of realized yeah you don't need to go really to school and be approved by people to to make movies you know yeah and anyway the movies that I want to make I don't think they are the movies that are being taught there yeah um so that's why then I started to write this screenplay out of this yeah. and since then it, it it proved to be the right way so I hope it's gonna go like yeah. this yeah I can imagine that you having had formal training in both music and composition and you have quite an idea of how to sort of um what the artistic process looks like so then you can probably transpose that to other things and then the learning what technically is necessary to be learned you can just do on your own time anyway yeah for sure yeah and yeah. with doing that yeah. you always really learn with doing yeah. stuff and yeah actually hands-on experience mm. um yeah so we're, we're reaching the end of this conversation um and I always like to ask my guests if there's anything they'd like to recommend that people, that listeners go and check out. Um, it could be a film, a movie. I mean, in your case, maybe a film would be an obvious thing. Film, uh, uh, music, book, whatever, something you've, uh, something you've enjoyed. Yeah, it's a really hard question, man. <laughs> because because it's, 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 again, it's like uh, when you're into a lot of things, uh, you don't have like a favorite thing, let's say, or the most, the thing that really um, sticks or, yeah. but let's say if I would, if I would recommend, let's say a movie, maybe I could recommend a movie, a book and a record now. Yeah. If you want to recommend several <laughs> things, that is, uh, that is totally fine. Um, given that we've gone around the gamut of different things, I think you've, you've talked about all those things. So why not? Uh, let me think about it. So maybe for a movie, uh, the last thing that I watched that was really, that really, uh, that has a really interesting and special atmosphere, is uh, the killing of a sacred deer. Yeah. Okay. That's, you know this movie? Um, I haven't seen it yet. It's the same guy who made uh, who made Dogtooth and Lobster. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's a Greek director. Yeah. And um, it was very interesting to see this movie because. I mean, it's quite extreme. Yeah. It has this, it's somebody actually described it, or I saw it somewhere being described as a Greek drama with, uh, what was it? With, uh, with psychological horror and Hitchcockian yeah. uh, <laughs> thrill. So yeah. it was like, okay, I want to make this kind of movie. Yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> I want my movie to be described like yeah. this. <laughs> Um, but um, yeah, it has this element, and it's interesting how he's you know he's using the sound a lot, like Kubrick. Yeah. Really, um, sorry, music. He's using music a lot, yeah. like Kubrick, in terms of really in your face, strong classical pieces. Let's yeah. say by Sofia Gubaidulina. Okay. Ah, which brings me to this is a nice piece to check out by Sofia Gubaidulina. It's a it's a, a piece, uh, seven words. Seven words. Seven words by uh, for cellos and accordion solo. Okay. With with like a, a chamber orchestra, strings orchestra, yeah. mm -hmm. and it has it's a really interesting piece that it's quite a, like it's it's quite. I, I don't know if if it's dissonant is the right word, but let's say it's it's based on a note that can be bent and it's based on last seven words of Jesus. Okay. And the thing is, what I like about it is that it's quite dissonant and it's, mm -hmm. it's like a modern classical music. She's yeah. still alive. But it has this spirituality to it. That's yeah. what I like. That's what I feel at least. And yeah. I think that's really hard to do mm -hmm. when you're writing a, like a dissonant 
music that yeah. you have this, you know, because Arab Pirate obviously really has this spiritual feeling, which I think a lot of people feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But then that's another thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's there's a nice recording uh, of that piece by Sofia Gubedolina by ECM with Boris Pergamenstikov. So okay, maybe that could be nice. Yeah. Which connects to this movie. Yeah, <laughs> great. Um, it's it's good. Uh, good pair of recommendations. Another movie that I would recommend is called The Square. Oh yeah, I Have saw you, that. You saw that? Yeah. It's a beautiful movie, and it's, I really like how it deals with this modern art. You yeah. Know, and and what people, what is art? What is not art? And why is it art? But then not actually putting any judgments. This is what I really like mm -hmm. about this director. He just kind of gives you this, these images and these things and these characters, and then you just create your own opinion about them, and then he breaks it, and then. Yeah. At the end, you you have to decide. This I really like. Yeah, I really enjoy the sort of dark humor that he brings to to his characters. He'll have a character that's honestly not likable, and yet um, brings out the humanity. It was a, did did you see his previous movie? The yeah, the um, force majeure. Force majeure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, story, I like yeah. this one even more. I yeah. had the feeling that he went even deeper into his being himself. Let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Christian, thanks for coming on the show. Um, it was great to have you. I'm glad we got a chance to do this. Well, thank you, Beth. It was really fun, actually. And uh, hopefully um, we may have you back if you if you have got any more movies or more projects or more things to talk about in the future. For sure. Thanks, man. Cool. Thanks. That was my conversation with Christian Kanchan. There'll be more of his drumming cellist to be heard at the end of the show. Please visit soundofthemoment.com to find show notes and links to Christian's website. I'll also be including links to some videos of Christian performing drumming cellist. I think that's quite essential to get a better idea exactly what he does and how he does it, because it is quite impressive, I have to say. And obviously, if you go to his website, there's links to be able to go and buy his record, and I highly recommend doing that as well. I would like to thank Christian and Andres, my fellow members of Catrio. They provide intro and outro music for this show every week. Every, well, every two weeks, whenever it comes out. If you have any questions or comments, um, I love feedback, so don't hesitate to reach out to me. I am at Pat Cleaver on Twitter, and you can also go to the Sound of the Moment page on Facebook. As usual, the best way to support the show is to add it to your RSS feed. Um... Or you could subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher if you use either of those. Um, that way you automatically download new episodes as soon as they're released. And if you do use one of those, please give me a favorable review or rating there. That helps the algorithms work in my favor. Or you could also just tell a friend. That's uh, the uh, analog form of communication. If you feel like you know somebody who might enjoy listening to this, um, please, please do share it. I leave you with more music from Kissing Kanshan, and this is from the drumming cellist album. It's called The Leaving of Siddhartha. Thank you so much for listening, and I will be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment.
Thank you.